Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Pollock, cybersecurity and privacy attorney. Glad to have you back. Keep those questions, calls, comments coming. Call me at 410-917-5189 or email me at spollock at wtplaw.com. Very excited. Well, I'm not really excited because Chris Lair is back, but Chris Lair is back from Solace Security, the EVP and CTO of Solace Security, my first return guest. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but Chris, welcome back. Hey, happy to be here for the second time. Uh, I'm very actually excited to talk to Chris because Chris is definitely in the weeds on a lot of pertinent issues right now. So let's jump right into the hot topic and something that I've been asked about every time I'm around family, friends, clients is with what's going on with Russian invasion of Ukraine and what should we be thinking about in terms of potential cyber attacks? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? And what do you think is going to happen moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a great topic. Obviously, it's the number one topic to talk about today. And so, yeah, there's a few things. Uh, It's interesting. My take on it from a security perspective is, you know, if you're asking what you should be doing additional because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it's probably not the right question. I mean, there's really nothing different that you need to do from a security perspective. Uh, but hey, all the power to you if if that's what it takes for you to go to the top and, and get some budget dollars to spend some more money on security needs, have at it. But really, the, the event itself doesn't require any type of special preparations other than maybe just a heightened sense of awareness and, and and probably communication out to your staff and such to say, hey, look, we expect there's going to be a spike in activity, especially around like fishing and those types of things. And so just just be on your toes about that type of stuff and, and be on your toes for the scams and stuff that they're going to try to hide under about, you know, do you support Ukraine and this and that. So definitely those types of things are going to be important to make people aware of. But you know, from a security controls perspective and the things that you should and should not be doing, I mean, that really remains the same. But uh, again, if this uh, provides some form of motivation or some type of um, increased uh, budget, that's a that's a good thing. Now, from an incident response perspective, I think there's there's a lot more to this, uh, and and it's not necessarily something that would be you know, they're going to attack more or whatever, what I, you know, because there's a conflict or because one country's taking a stance for the other or whatever the case may be. But what I do think is that, you know, we can agree that the cooperation between law enforcement agencies, uh, between pretty much the rest of the world and Russia slash China, you know, has been, Nothing that's going to get any awards, right? Um, we've seen some arrests made, you know, in the last 12 to 18 months of people out of Russia who've been extradited in, in the news just this week. Um, they actually had uh, one of those individuals from the Revol gang, supposedly, uh, in Texas uh, at their initial hearing. So, I mean, that stuff is happening, but it's not happening at the volume or the extent that we would like to see. Well, now you have this situation right here where, I mean, you could easily say it's the West versus Russia. Uh, It's easy to make that argument for the most part. And I don't really believe that the Russians are going to be any more motivated to cooperate with law enforcement at this point. So if you are, you know, some type of 
cyber criminal, uh, then you, it was pretty much a low risk gig before, but now it's an extremely low risk gig for you because the chances of the Russian government doing anything to you to help out, you know, the United States, Canada, Western Europe, or whatever, I mean, those chances are next to none. So, I mean, the Russian government's not going to have any motivation to do so. So I can see from that perspective how people may be more ambitious, more aggressive to to, to attack people. So I don't think it's a, a result of the conflict, meaning like, hey, I'm attacking people because of this whole Russia versus Ukraine, but because of this whole climate and sanctions and everything else around Russia, I'm definitely going to go attack now because the likelihood of me getting arrested and extradited or anything like that is extremely low, lower than it usually is, which is low already. So we're basically going to lose any of the cooperation, quote unquote, that we've been getting from Russia to kind of curtail those these attacks to some extent. But the security risks obviously going to remain the same as it was beforehand and the yeah. steps companies need to take. Exactly right. I mean, you know, the cooperation was waning to begin with, but now it's going to be ridiculous and, and it's not going to turn around anytime soon. So even hypothetically, if the conflict ended tonight, it's not like Russia is going to wake up on Monday morning and say, OK, now we're going to start cooperating with the FBI or Secret Service or whomever it is. So uh, I think we're we're in for the long haul of not having any type of legal repercussions against individuals in Russia that are attacking um, organizations in the U.S., unless it's um, some critical infrastructure. But, you know, the majority of people that we deal with, you, Spencer, um, and myself, uh, um, you know, those people aren't really going to have any choice but to just survive the attack, deal with it, and have zero hopes that anybody's ever going to get arrested for it. Yep. Yep. What about this whole, you know, anonymous came out first being like, mm-hmm. you know, we're pro Ukraine, we're going to attack Russia. And then you get Conti, one of the more premier, quote unquote, I guess, premier real ransomware groups coming out and basically saying, throwing their gauntlet down, you know, aligning with Russia. Are we going to see more groups? Well, first, first question is, what side is really anonymous on? And two, are we going to see more groups kind of come out like this and al- basically throw their allegiance behind a a government? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, Anonymous is kind of a difficult read. I mean, they've been, they've always been kind of more of a hacktivist group, right? And so, and, you know, their, I guess, if you want to call it their philosophies, their ideologies, um, you know, are more on the left side. So for them, if they view you know, somebody being oppressed or somebody being the aggressor and they view that aggressor as being more, you know, right wing in their opinion, I think they're always going to, you know, side against that entity, whether it's an organization, an individual or an entire nation state. Uh, so that's, you know, from anonymous, just kind of that is it's interesting that they said anything at all or or that they were strong as what they said. I mean, they pretty much pick and choose their battles. And I thought this was an interesting one, even though it's at the top of the news, I still think it was kind of an interesting one. With Conti, it was this was really, really interesting because, I mean, Conti is the big dog in the ransomware world. Um, you know, everybody knows that. They've been around, you know, a long time in ransomware terms. Um, if you look behind the scenes, and now that we know more, and we can get to that in a little bit, 
of what goes on behind the scenes. They they really operate uh, much like you would see a, a normal organization, business operation operate. And so it's really interesting for them to be so bold and come out with that stance. Um, now, I have some speculation I'll get to in a little bit, but for them to be so vocal about it so quickly, and it backfired on them, obviously. So, you know, what many people don't realize is you have these ransomware organizations and 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 they are, you know, started and organized and operated by a set of individuals. And then they they recruit people and they can recruit people to work either directly for them or through affiliates. And affiliates think of them as kind of contractors in, in U.S. terms, 1099s, if you want to think about that. So when Conti came out and made this statement, well, they had some of these affiliates that did not agree. Now, what I've heard is those affiliates, you know, are Ukrainian, uh, or let's just argue that they're very pro-Ukraine. So when that happened, uh, they immediately took offense to it and reacted and responded. And that is one thing that is not unique to this situation. In this world, uh, especially in this uh, uh, hacker world, for a better term, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of information that goes back and forth, and there's a lot of there's a lot of trust, and there's a lot of honor. So there is a code of honor in a way, and sometimes it gives people the creeps when I talk about things this way, but it is reality, and the reality is is uh, you know, it goes a long way. So you can, if uh, people come, you know, say, well, hey, if we if we have to pay a ransom, and how we know we're gonna they're gonna do what they they say they're gonna do? How they, how do we know they're gonna deliver a decryptor? How do we know they're going to, you know, not publish our data? Because it's a big deal. Reputation is a big deal. And so, in this world, if you either rip somebody off or you say something wrong about someone, or you say something out of turn, or whatever, uh, the the repercussions are severe, and they're pretty quick. And so in the case of Conti, uh, the people that were upset by this, they didn't give Conti, you know, what we could tell, any chance to really, you know, roll that back or dial that back, which Conti didn't in the end. But uh, they just said, hey, look, we got all this information that is shared with us that we have access to, whether it's dialogue uh, be- between members of, of Conti and these affiliates or whatever the case may be, whether it's um, you know information about how they negotiate things, how they price things, how they, uh, you know, what they, their te- te- tactics and techniques of what they hack people and all that type of stuff. We're just going to dump everything we have and that we have access to, and we're going to dump it quickly. And they did so. And believe, then the security world jumped on that uh, very, very quickly. And and people were able to take, I mean, it's all in Cyrillic, so, and, and you know, obviously Russian, so they had to take some translation, but people were very quick in, in translating what was said out there so people could read and everything like that. So, I, you know, I don't think um, Conti calculated that that was going to happen, but you know, a lot of speculation has, you know, occurred over the years about these groups. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, some people argue, well, we can't um, attribute it to Russia because there's no hard evidence to do that. But but we know that the, most likely it is Russian. And and when you're dealing with these individuals and, and you're negotiating with them or communicating with them, I mean, they they come up. They, they I mean, sometimes they'll speak Russian. We know there are people out there that negotiate that speak Russian uh, to these 
to these threat actors, you know, in hopes of getting better results. So we, we it's safe to say that there's a lot of Russians there. And so the point is that the rumors have always been that there are direct links uh, between these organizations and the Russian FSB. And so if you have those links or if you have maybe former FSB or, or whatever it is involved in these with these groups, it makes perfect sense that they're going to be pro-Russian. Now, whether or not they should have been quick to publish that and be so public about that, I don't think they realized what that would have occurred, how that occurred. But I mean, these guys got deep pockets. Um, I don't think they have any fear of being caught. And uh, I think that lends itself to the argument that they're somehow connected to the to the government. So, so be it. It is what it is, and I don't think it's going to stall uh, their progress on uh, attacking companies. Yeah, you know, and you bring up a lot of good points, especially with the Conti, almost the chat blogs, and the corporate infrastructure. I'm reading about it. I know you can speak more in depth to it, but how there was a CEO, and I forgot, I forgot the CEO's name, quote unquote. Um, the HR director and then the red team leads and really getting that inner look, I'm sure made them feel very much, I would think vulnerable, but I agree. Their their pockets are pretty deep. Now, in terms of their team structure and what you've gleaned from looking at those blogs, what were you able to kind of tell or can you kind of give a little bit in, of insight into how they've set up almost their corporate structure when you are negotiating with these affiliates and they have to go back to the quote unquote mothership. How does that kind of work? And what did you see in looking at those chat blogs and leaks? Yeah. I mean, what you can see is there definitely is a hierarchy, right? And there's some people that are, you know, they, they under pseudonyms, but you know, they are the, you know, there's a, there's a structure and, and there's a boss and then a boss's boss and so on and so forth. So there's definitely a structure and, you know, appears to people that appears that there are people specializing in different areas of how they operate, you know, whether it's developing the malware or lever or, you know, uh, dealing with those individuals, uh, people that are dealing with the negotiation side and that type of stuff. So it's really interesting. It's interesting to see the dialogue between, let's say, an affiliate who's getting frustrated uh, because they're they're running in some brick walls or whatever when they're negotiating with somebody and you can tell these affiliates are frustrated. They're using a lot of four letter terms and, and all sorts of other stuff. And, and, and whomever they are reporting to are dealing with is, has, you know, a pretty looks to appear a pretty good head on their shoulders on how to kind of diffuse that situation, talk them through it and coach them. Um, that's, that's a good word to use in this particular situation. And so, and I think, you know, we've been in, in, We've seen even on our side of things with dealing with stuff that I think there's even been mentions that they have legal resources. And, you know, it's kind of uh, debatable what those are for. But uh, when we've seen things, it's like, you know, we make an argument like a lot of these attack groups. And, you know, Spencer, that they say, hey, you pay the ransom. We won't publish the data and you can avoid having to deal with the legal side of things. And then you're like, no, that's not how it works. Right. I mean, if you guys have taken data Paying the ransom is not going to make any difference. It's still going to go through all the legal steps. Uh, these guys seem to say, well, we hey, we have an attorney. Uh, you know, we he can, you know, he can show you or tell you, we can tell you what he says on why that's not the case. So they're trying to kind of counter your argument that you still have to do le uh, legal stuff. You know, for them, that they feel it's a good way to for them to get paid if they can prove to you that you don't need to do legal stuff. And so, 
it's it's really interesting. I mean, you look at this TrickBot situation, and and what they're doing there, and and you know a lot of that stuff is leaked. Uh, but you know the fact that they're going and acquiring um, other teams or other organizations is 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 interesting. Uh, and so I just think, I think these guys model themselves, um, after, you know, as much as they can about a real organization. And you also see, and when you're reading through those chat logs or you're, you're, you're reading what people are reporting, what they're reading on those chat logs is that you see that they struggle with scale as well. So mm-hmm. as they get bigger and those things, you can see some of those struggles and maybe some process issues or, or the same things that you'd see anywhere else. So it's really interesting. I mean, I think again, people get get a little cringe when I talk about this stuff because I, I you know I'm not saying I want to celebrate them as a you know on Inc 500 you know most admired companies of 2022 uh, nothing like that but you do have to admit that their behavior and the way they're organize, organized and the way they're approaching things is more impressive than one would think if they had no idea what was going on yeah, I mean, when you're dealing with that hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that these people make, you got to think that this is not your 13-year-old down the street that's demanding $500. I mean, they're you're right. You know, it's the the respect level of your adversary and understanding that you're not dealing with some chumps out there that they have a corporate infrastructure. I'm still waiting for them to get back to me on my application to them for their legal advisory. Mm-hmm. Joking. Completely kidding. I have not applied to be a attorney for Conti or any other ransom group because uh, you know some people take things too literally. But I agree, it's it's very scary. And I've been on those calls with you and talking to clients where they just they don't get it. They they don't understand that unfortunately it's a corporate infrastructure um, and it's a lot of reputation out there. Uh, moving forward in you know 2022. Anything new that you think we're going to see or that companies need to be aware of when it comes to cyber threats? Yeah, so I think this uh, concept of supply chain risk is is real, right? So I think we're going to continue like we saw in 2020 and 2021. We're going to see some pretty large-scale vulnerabilities announced, and uh, many of them will probably be uh, of a zero-day nature, meaning that they're going to be announced. There may not be um, a, a a process to patch or remediate very quickly, those types of things. So I think we're going to continue to see that. Um, and outside of that, I don't really see anything that's earth shattered. I mean, the other day, just it's just some strange ones. And I really wouldn't, like, for example, I think it was earlier this week, um, I believe on Monday or Tuesday, there was a vulnerability or an exploit, yeah, exploit vulnerability announced for APC UPS. So APC is probably your the most well-known uh you know manufacturer and supplier of backup battery systems ups's and this particular vulnerability had the ability to remotely access these ups's and shut them down i believe and some other stuff jack with your ups's so that's how your servers and network gear get power so i mean those things aren't necessarily going to affect ransomware but they could affect outages and downtime and that type of stuff so those things are we're going to see but we're going to see a lot of these ones that um are going to affect like log4j and and the exchange ones from last year uh, we'll we'll see more of those this year i think i'm hoping that people will 
be more sensitive to those types of things and continue to strengthen and add more security controls. But what my biggest hope is, is and I was on a, a conversation with someone else about this the other day was people need to clean their house. I mean, there's people have too much data lying around too much old data lying yep. around. And they, they need to clean up. So you can go install the fancy tools and gadgets you want, but if you can really be, uh, very intentional, and um, then that word needs to come from the top and supported from the top all the way down to organization. That would be my strongest thing: is just clean your data up and really think about what you need to keep. Who really needs to have access to it? Does it need to be sitting centralized on your network, or can it be sitting someplace else in a safer place? Um, but that's that's kind of where I think if people could win that battle, we'd be in a much better shape, especially with regards to ransomware attacks. Yeah, I think the back, the amount of data that we all keep intentionally, unintentionally, you know, it's like almost, it's the 2022 version of the hoarders, right? That show from, oh, I don't remember the network, but it was hoarders, that was what it was called. And you see boxes. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was one great one where it was a chicken woman and she had a lot of chickens. I don't really know how you hoard chickens, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but it's the same thing with data. It's why do we have this much data? And I agree from just a legal perspective. I cringe when I start backtracking prior years because it's not your current client and employee base to me. It's the prior years. That's where the most pain comes in. But all very fascinating stuff, Chris, as usual. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, I appreciate being here. And maybe, everyone, I'll get a, maybe you'll give me a third time. Eh, I don't know. Let's see how many let's see how many likes we get on this one, yeah, and then right. I'll, I'll let you know about that. But to everyone else, have a great morning, great afternoon, or great evening. Call me. Questions, comments, discussion points. 410-917-5189 or email me at spollock at wtplaw.com. And have a great. I guess I already said it. Have a great morning, afternoon, or evening.